Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art related. This is episode 105, Pages Pages, recorded on August 13th, 2020. My name is Julie Fafam Balzer, and with me is my co host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, ever so slightly sick of being quarantined. <laughs> you and everyone else in the entire world, at least you're not alone. Although I will say, have I got a remedy for you being quarantined at home? Well, I mean, you may not think so, but I thought it was a kind of good segue, actually. So I have uh, I had an on a class that was supposed to be an in-person class, a three-day class that was coming up this fall. And I have come to the realization that there is, of course, no way that this class could happen in person. And so uh, I reached out to the people who had signed up and who had paid for class to see if they wanted to translate it into a live online class. And so it's going to be a Zoom class coming up soon. It's going to be five weeks. It is called Design Bootcamp. It is twice a week for five weeks from 11 to 1 in the morning. 11 to 1 in the morning. That makes it sound like 1 a.m. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's Tuesdays and Thursdays. And during the off times, meaning when you're not in class, there is homework. We also will have a dedicated Slack channel, so you'll be able to reach me whenever you want with your questions um, or if you need a little one-on-one conversation. But this is for people who are really serious about wanting to level up their work. If you've ever looked at your work and wondered, is it done? If you've ever looked at your work and you've wondered, Something is wrong, but I can't figure it out. If you've ever wondered if you need a focal point, if you're, you know, having trouble articulating what you like or don't like about your work, if you feel like you're a little bit lost personal style wise, this is the class for you. But like I said, it's seriously intense. There will be homework. I mean, it will, of course, be amazing and fun and totally hilarious at the same time. But it's called boot camp for a reason. So I'm going to kick your artistic butt in a very nice way, and I think it's going to be awesome. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and in fact, I'm so excited that I put together a free webinar um, where you can ask me any questions you want, and I'll show you a little bit about what class is going to be. It's totally free, but you do have to register, and I will have all the information about that in the show notes. And I know, Mom, you would like me to kick your artistic butt all the time, right? Well, you kick my emotional butt constantly so i don't know <laughs> how much butt kicking a person can take whatever i do mom i learned it from you so um let's talk about uh i, I, say love. I can yeah, feel the love between us i can feel the love between us mom So our guest today is Paige Evans, and she has been scrapbooking since she was 16 years old when she got her first job at a little local scrapbook store in Redmond, Washington. And so now she's been scrapbooking for over half her life. She loves it as much today as she did back then. She has 10, that's amazing, signature scrapbooking collections with American Crafts, which if you know anything about scrapbooking is basically the scrapbooking company. Um, She's taught classes in seven states and nine countries. If you follow her Instagram, you definitely know that she's lived all over the world. Um, And I have always loved seeing all of your wonderful um, uh, photos from across the world from all of your travels, Paige. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to see you. Uh, Well, not see you, hear from you, I guess I should say. How are you doing during the pandemic? 
you know, ups and downs. So just taking it one day at a time and crafting and scrapbooking is definitely a great way to help take the edge off. Okay, because uh, I know I was going to say, you have two little kids, so you must be homeschooling right now or about to start homeschooling again. Yes, yeah, so our, our district has decided to do hybrid, so they will be going to school twice a week and then three days a week will be at home. So, yeah, have to become a homeschool teacher on top of everything else. So are you planning on doing a lot of crafts with them or are you planning on going a more traditional route? Really both. You know, I think learning, learning is good, but I think also having the crafting and the arts and crafts, it's really important as well. I agree. I think that particularly during these times, like it's really important to be creative. I think it's almost as good as therapy as they say. And certainly for little kids, I know that my, some of my favorite times that I had when I was a kid was uh, making stuff. It just, there's something about the way it charges your brain. Absolutely. I, I also think it's problem solving crafting. So it, it, there's an intellectual aspect to it. There's an educational aspect to it. And, uh, I think it's uh, uh, not to be discounted in terms of uh, educating at home. I agree, thousand percent. So let's let's go back to the very beginning. Have you always been a creative person, or did scrapbooking unlock something in you? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was always into the arts and crafts. It was for sure my favorite subject in school and in high school. And, you know, my high school actually bought one of my art pieces. I haven't, hadn't remembered that in a long time, but yeah, one of my pieces of art hangs on the wall in my old high school. So it's just always been a part of my life. My parents, my grandparents are all very hands-on creative people. So it's just kind of been passed down through the generations. And how did you find scrapbooking? <laughs> did you have a parent who scrapbooked or did you just wander into a store one day? Oh, neither of my parents scrapbook and nobody in my family has um, and to be honest when I was a teenager I thought it was just kind of corny and something that only old people did <laughs> um, but when I was 16 my parents were like you need to get a job to pay for your own gas and your own your own things and so we went down to this little strip mall and went into a scrapbooking store and I seriously was like rolling my eyes you know like I really don't even want to work here um, and they didn't even have any applications they just wrote down my name and phone number and they called me and I came in for an interview and they offered me a job and I just remember the first time that I put photos on paper and stickers something just clicked and I was like this is awesome this is my jam and I literally haven't stopped since. So you have a very distinct um, scrapbook style, I think. Uh, and is that something that you very consciously developed? Is it natural to you? Like how you, so people who don't know, I'm trying to think how to describe your work. It's very colorful, it's incredibly graphic. You tend to be, I think, very feminine in the work that you do. And you use a lot of what I would consider labor intensive processes, mm -hmm. like um, tiny little pieces of paper that come together to create a larger shape or hand stitching, all sorts of stuff like that. Right. 
So when I first started scrapbooking, when I was 16, it was very um, grungy. I don't know if that's the right term, but it was very, oh, yeah, I can't think of the word, but um, it was like seven gypsies Mm. and uh, rusty pickle and basic gray, distressed, very distressed. And um, then I actually started working in-house at American Crafts. And that was a complete 180 from my then style. American Crafts was bright colors, more solids. And I don't know, just in an instant, my style changed because that's what I needed to use and to design and haven't looked back since. So So what was the job you were doing at American Crafts? I was an in-house scrapbooker slash product designer. Ooh, that sounds super fun. Tell us about that. (laughs) So I was initially hired to um, be the, there was like three of us in-house scrapbookers. So all of the samples that were in the catalogs and on display at Creativation or CHA as it used to be called. So they would give us a list of things we needed to make, which products we needed to promote, and that was my job. I was paid to scrapbook from nine to five every day. So that was that was a highlight. I was gonna say, I bet that made you a lot faster at yeah. doing your work, and it probably also changed the way that you scrapbook just because doing it for hire does make a difference. Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. And also just the yeah, the way I scrapbook where it's focusing on one one product or yeah like most of my layouts I like repetition so there's going to be one thing that kind of stands out that I want to focus on so yeah and so tell us about the product design part of that so that was kind of just on the on the side they had official you know graphic designers and I didn't have a background in graphic design I got my degree in art education so to be an art teacher um, so I just, I just had to teach myself basically how to use Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. And there are a few papers and stickers and stuff that I designed back in the day. And it was just a really, a really fun job. So was that a different kind of designing, uh, experience than what you have now with your own line? Yeah, it's different now. So with my collections now, it's still the team in Utah at American Crafts who do all of the computer work. And it's just more of a team effort where I put in my ideas, suggestions, changes, mood boards, what I want to see. But the people in Utah are the ones who do the actual designing. And then, of course, they do the um, creation and getting it into the warehouse and all that stuff. So I have the fun part of using the, using the products and promoting it. I was going to say that sounds like a dream come true. Uh, you get to do all the fun parts of it and none of the work of it. So let's talk a little bit about designing a collection. Like when you put together a mood board, do you base it on trends? What's happening right now? Do you tend to go with just things that are interesting to you? Like what motivates you in terms of what you pick so i mostly start with color the color palette you know it's it's got to be bright and fun and then we try to keep 
collections pretty open-ended so that they can be used for a lot of different purposes. Um, so, so what's an example? Like what would be, what would be an open-ended look versus a non-open-ended look? <laughs> so, you know, there's like Christmas collections, there's Halloween collections, there are, um, I'm just trying to think of something else. Um, but so with my collections, this latest one, it does kind of have an underlying travel theme. You know, there's like backpacks and maps and stuff, but there are also a lot of florals and a lot of solids. So what I like to do with my collections is try and use them for the holidays. So my collection two years ago or a year ago, it was kind of fall themed in colors, but I loved challenging myself to use it for my Christmas layouts. So we just try, yeah, we try and make a lot or use a lot of colors, a lot of different icons and just make it as versatile as possible. And has designing a product line changed the way that you scrapbook? Um, I, I don't think so. I've always used a lot of product on my creations and a lot of layers and stuff. And I think it's just more fun now to scrapbook than ever because it's using my own things. Well, it's stuff that suits you perfectly. I always think that, I remember years and years ago going to a talk that Jenny Bolin was giving. And one of the things she said about designing product is she said she always designs product that she would use. And that's simply how she makes her decisions. Because she said, if you start to design product for other people, then you sort of lose sight of your brand and you don't have fun using it, you know, and people can tell. I thought that was really interesting. Right, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, all the travel that you've done. You've, you've lived uh, in Europe for quite some time. Right, so my husband is a dentist and he went through dental school on an army scholarship. And so we owed the army four years of service. And when we put in our requests, our number one was to live in Europe. And we got lucky. They sent us to Germany. It was supposed to be for three years, but we extended for four years. And so having Germany, having like living in Germany was a great home base for traveling. We could drive to Paris in eight hours. We could drive to Venice in seven hours, two hours from Prague. So it was amazing. We, we lived it up and I hope we get to go back someday. It's so interesting to live abroad. Did you, um, did you pick up some German or any German customs while you were there? Uh, my husband put more of an effort into learning German. I only learned a couple words just because we were living on a U.S. American base. Mm. Everybody was American and spoke English. And even when we traveled, my husband would attempt to speak in German or Spanish and they would reply in English. So, um, and so it was while I was living over there that I taught classes in seven different countries. And the only country where I needed an interpreter was in Spain. And even then, I think everybody understood me, especially since scrapbooking is such a hands-on visual thing. You know, I would show the process and 
not like words weren't necessarily as important as just watching. Um, but yeah, spoke English everywhere else. And that, that was just something that was really interesting. Julie, you've had experience teaching internationally. I have. And I, you know, one of the things I've always been impressed by is the fact that so many uh, Europeans speak English. It is impressive, beyond impressive, that most most people really are bilingual, sometimes trilingual more than that. Um, and it is it is also true that the language of craft speaks across so much and people just are very curious and uh, excited always to see you. I did find uh, admittedly, this was many years ago, I think, that I was teaching more uh, abroad, and uh, I found that trends tended to be a little bit behind in Europe as opposed to where they were in the U.S. That may not be true now with uh, the Internet keeping us up to date quite as much. Did you find that to be true? I, yeah, a little bit. Um, but at the same time, it was while I was living in Germany that I got my... Um, signature collections with American crafts. And so it was just really exciting, I think, to have just to live over there and stay on top of the trends and be able to use my new product and stuff in the classes I was teaching. So, yeah. I was gonna say, you do a ton of mini books, not just regular scrapbook layouts. So you actually do a lot of book binding. Yes, that's one of my favorite things to do. So are you self-taught or did you take classes to pick up all that binding? I took a class in college for book binding and I just haven't stopped making them ever since. And then the mini albums, I actually used to despise making mini albums. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I did, couldn't make something that I loved. But then one of the girls on my design team named Stephanie Reed, she just had a way with making mini albums. I loved every one that she made. And so I was like, okay, I am gonna overcome this. I am going to make myself <laughs> enjoy mini albums. And once I had that mindset, I was able to just focus on one page at a time and incorporate design techniques here and there on every page. And I, I've loved making mini albums ever since, especially documenting our travels that way. In a mini album, I'm able to include so many photos and a lot more information than I am on a single 12 by 12 layout. So that is why I love making them. So let's talk about design teams because you mentioned Stephanie who's on your design team. So do you get to choose the people who are on your design team? And if so, if there's someone out there who's interested, like what's that process like? What do they need to show to show that they're, they're worthy of it? Uh, so I've had the same well, I guess I have three girls on my official Paige Evans design team, and it's been the same two from the very beginning, Missy Whitten, who lives in Florida, and Stephanie Reed, who lives in Germany. I had Flora Farkas, and she lives, um, she lives in Hungary, and she had to step back, and so I replaced her with my friend Joka. She also lives in Germany. Um, and so I've just had those same same girls this whole time, and I just love my relationship with them and the work that they do, and so keeping them. Um, and then my cut file design team is open, so I have people apply, send in photos of things that they make, and 
that changes every six months to a year. I put out the call and I receive so many applications. It's like overwhelming to go through. So what are you looking for when people apply? Is it, do they have to have a social media presence? Is it more their work is spectacular? Are you looking for one particular style? It, uh, I don't look at numbers, you know, like it doesn't, I don't care if you have one follower on Instagram or if you have 10,000 followers, you know, that's just, I just love um, seeing what you make. And I try to have, um, different strengths so some people who are really great at layouts some people who are really great at cards some people who are great with off the page projects and so photography is probably number one the way that they style their photos and edit them yeah i think that's most important and so when you're looking for a photography style, does it have to be um, that the styling is similar to what you do or does it just mean that it's well styled? <laughs> um, probably just well styled. I mean, I am probably most drawn to styles that look like mine just because, because I like we them. all are. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so yeah, just that it's styled well and looks but that's actually a great tip. So if somebody was interested in being on your design team, one of the things they would need to do besides really working on their work would be to maybe look at your Instagram feed and some of your things and see if they could, you know, extrapolate out, oh, Paige uses a lot of light and, you know, she does this with her photos and they tend to be bright or, you know what I mean? Or whatever else is like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think nowadays people, uh, understand that in order to have a social media presence, in order to be successful in this business, whether it's scrapbooking or some other craft, you have to be a good photographer. Uh, you cannot just have sort of off the wall, fly suddenly just some blurry picture that's got too much stuff in it. I mean, people are understanding now, your skill at photography is an important piece of your toolbox if you want to be successful. Yeah, I think some people have said this of even like interior designers and all sorts of stuff, like the act of whether it looks good in a photograph nowadays is as important as to how it looks in real life, which seems crazy. But the thing is we do so much commerce online in a photo. We do so much, you know what I mean, selling, advertising, marketing, that really the photograph is the thing that becomes important. Yeah what you see first you know if it's if it's dark and blurry you'll scroll on by if it's bright and sharp you'll stick around a little bit longer so let's talk about your cut files because i believe that you are a, a long time silhouette user is that correct yes i've had my silhouette since i want to say like 2010 or so when my kids were babies that's a decade <laughs> of using it. So tell me about the kind of cut files people can find if they go to your Etsy shop. So I design cut files with scrapbookers in mind. Again, I, I want to design something that I would use. And so it's a lot of outlines with pieces that you can back with pattern paper because pattern paper is my absolute favorite scrapbook supply. The more pattern papers I can include in a project, the better. So 
you'll find a lot of different shapes and icons with yeah that ability to back it with pattern papers very cool and how did you did you find the silhouette learning curve easy or was that something because you had known illustrator you were able to figure it out like tell me about that learning process of designing files um so yeah designing the files is definitely something that i learned how to do when i worked at american crafts using adobe illustrator so the, i used the pen tool and the pencil tool to create most of them and then as far as the learning curve for silhouette i mean it's it's a machine and there's computer programs and troubleshooting so it does take a little bit of work but once you figure it out i think it's pretty easy but then they go and do software updates right <laughs> so then you know you have to relearn some things but just um there's always helpful tutorials on youtube as well okay and so um talk to us a little bit about so your overall business if people are interested in sort of what is the business of scrapbooking is you have this line you also have your etsy shop you also have i believe a facebook group yes so my facebook group is called happy scrappy place and it's a group where people can share projects and things that they've made using my cut files and collections so lots of inspiration and Every week I give away a free cut file. So now we there are almost, I think like 150 free cut files that people can download and use. And then once in a while I'll do giveaways and challenges. So it's just a really happy place <laughs> and lots of inspiration can be found there. Cool. Are there other aspects of your business that we haven't even talked about? I guess we haven't really talked about teaching. Oh, yeah. So I used, I used to teach a lot of in-person classes <laughs> and then, you know, of course, COVID. But yeah, teaching in person is such a whole, whole different ballgame because you get to be surrounded by people who understand you and are enthusiastic about it and know what scrapbooking is, you know? My friends on the street where I live, they, I mean, they know what I do. They've seen my scrap room, but it's not, it's not the same. So teaching in person is where I just get the biggest high because everybody is just so into it. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. It's really hard when you tell somebody what you do and they don't quite get it. Yeah. And they don't truly totally understand. I remember long ago hearing Allie Edwards talk about the fact that she stopped telling people she was a scrapbooker, even though that's what she did, because it just it it brought up these images that she didn't feel were accurate. So she started telling people that she was a storyteller, you know, or a, a photo document or something like that. And I thought that was interesting because uh, no matter what your job is, you know, if you tell people or even you're a lawyer or a dentist or whatever, like they have one idea of mm -hmm. what it is that you do. And sometimes we're just, we're more complex than that. Yeah. So uh, when you tell people, by the way, what you do, do you say you're a professional scrapbooker? Do you say you're an artist? Do you say you're a designer? What, what, how do you describe your career? I, I do say scrapbooker and I say you can find my stuff in Joanne and Michaels and Target so that it seems more legit, <laughs> right? Um, 
yeah, I just say I just say scrapbooking, and hopefully they understand. And if they don't, I try and explain it a little bit more. I think that idea <laughs> is so interesting about being more legit because I think we all have that in us, this desire. It's like when you say you're a writer, and somebody says, "Oh, how, can, what's your book called?" And it yeah. suddenly, right, you want to be able to say, "Well, I have a Pulitzer Prize-winning book." Um, because we always want to be able to be, you know, as professional as possible and to make people understand that what we do is serious and real, you know? Yes. And that just reminds me that I, last week I did a campaign with Paramount, Paramount um, Movies. And I was like, how can I tie in this campaign with scrapbooking? And they actually let me create layouts for them for their campaign. I was like, this is awesome. I get to do what I love, promote something. And when they shared my projects in their stories, I hope that that introduced hundreds of thousands of people to scrapbooking. So, you know, we're, we're making our way into the world slowly but surely. I think that that's lovely. And I, I also love the fact that I, I think you, you try to really think of how to see the world through that kind of lens of scrapbooking. I would say like a scrapbooking lifestyle. Yes. So speaking of a scrapbooking lifestyle, one of the things I remember when I still pocket scrapbook, um, but uh, I don't do the big 12 by 12 layouts anymore. However, I remember that when I was heavily doing the 12 by 12 layouts, um, one of the concerns I always had was getting the great photos, the really pretty photos with the clean backgrounds that make the layouts work do you uh do you take your kids out for photo shoots do you uh or do you just let the photos happen like how does that evolve for you in terms of getting the photos for the for the pages it's it's a little of both so a lot of my layouts okay so this is a secret that, that um i i tell people that for me, scrapbooking is more about the art process, right? It's putting the paper and the stickers and using my hands. And my photo, 99% of the time, comes towards the end. So wow. I find, yeah, I find a photo that will match my layout. Um, and a lot of times I do have a photo that will serendipit serendipitously coordinate. Sometimes I will, have to create a photo that will go along with it. Sometimes I start start with the photo. Just recently, I wanted to create a layout that looked like my daughter was holding balloons, but have the balloons be paper hearts. And so I just had Jane, my daughter, stand against a blank wall and hold her hand up. And then I printed that photo and used that as the start of my layout. So yeah, 99% of the time, my layout comes, or my photos come almost last, and I just go through my computer and find the photo, but sometimes I do start with the photo. So do you, I, I think I remember a photo of your scrap room where you have your some of your layouts on display. Yes. So will you, t I think I, do, do you rotate them through, like you have your most recent up or something like that? Yes, so again, the, the scrapbooking, Scrapbooking is very much therapy for me, keeps me sane, right, especially now. And so on average, I would say a layout for me takes about three hours. Um, 
if there's hand stitching involved, it could be upwards of 12 hours. Hand wow. stitching, but to me, it's worth it. I love the entire process, especially when I just get to sit and watch TV <laughs> while I'm stitching. <laughs> um, and so to me, it was such a shame to just spend 12 hours on a layout only to throw it in a scrapbook, put it on a shelf and not see it ever again. And so what I found, uh, I started doing this when my kids were just little babies. So like a decade ago, 10 years ago, I would start taping my layouts onto the wall and that way I would get to enjoy them a little bit longer. And every time we've moved, I have just continued doing this. I have, I think there's 35 layouts up on the wall. They're just, they're on clips and the clips hang from little nails that are in the wall. And I, some of them I've kept up here for a few years. They're just some of my favorites. And there's about 10 or so that I will rotate through. And once I rotate them through, then they go into the scrapbooks and I look at them every now and again. I think it's a wonderful idea to live with your art. And I think it, to me, it always is like re-inspiring. It reminds you why you do it. It excites you. And it's also lovely then when people come to see your space when there isn't COVID and they come into your home, you know, and you can say, oh yeah, this is what I do. Exactly. My, my craft room is right off the front entrance. So it's definitely a conversation piece when people walk in like, Oh, wow, what is this? You know, how many people do you know that have scrapbook rooms, right? I know a lot of people have like painting rooms. And so it's similar to how artists have their canvases up on the wall. I just have my scrapbook layouts up on the wall. So I've seen some pictures of your space in many across a couple different houses, I believe. Um, and you always do a beautiful job and have such a beautiful space. Do you have some tips on how you organize your stuff? Um, I, I love Ikea. <laughs> Ikea. <laughs> Who doesn't? There's some things there that are just made for scrapbookers. Like the, I don't know how you say it, but the calyx or calax, however you say that, those units where you can put in boxes mm. and then they have um, these cabinets called Fabricore and they fit 18 stuffed 12 by 12 scrapbooks beautifully. Perfect. Love them so much. I have three of them. And so those are perfect for organizing your scrapbooks. Um, I also have a table and lights completely dedicated to filming YouTube videos. I didn't always have this space, you know, when we lived in South Pasadena, California, where there's, you know, you just, everything's tiny <laughs> and very expensive. So I didn't have a, a scrap room. I would have to bring everything out to the kitchen table in my filming studio and everything and then put it away every single time. So it's great now having a table where I can just leave everything. Um, and then... What else? Storage carts, like those, those carts from Ikea, where you can put your most used tools. And yeah. Just, do you have any tips on how you organize in terms of, do you keep your paper by like collection because you know it so well? Do you tend to keep it by color, by pattern? Do you keep your embellishments differently? Like, or do you just actually use everything you have and not have a lot of stuff you need to store? I, 
I do store a lot of stuff. I use 12 by 12 Ziploc bags to hold collections. And those are in a box in the Ikea unit. Current collections, I have these, again, they're from Ikea too. They're like storage caddies. And so my current collection, I will keep in that caddy on my desk at all times. So I don't have to keep bringing bringing it out and putting it away. So I love going Ikea. down. Yeah. <laughs> also like the storage or the bathroom sections at Target or Amazon, if you just search for office or even makeup storage units, caddies, there's just so many perfect things that can hold all of the scrapbook supplies. All those little things. So I wanted to just ask you, because I know you said you have a dedicated space for your YouTube videos. Um, if people go to your YouTube channel, what kind of stuff can they expect to see? I do a lot of start to finish process videos showing how I create layouts and mini albums. And I try to upload a new video every week. So just one a week is about all I can manage right now. And I assume those aren't in real time. I assume we're talking sped up versions. I, I mean, I know some people do have their real time videos, but I just, I can't, I'm not that patient. I have to, especially cause a lot of my layouts are very repetitive. Like I said earlier, it's, it's just one thing over and over and over and watching that in real time would be, yeah, I can't talk for that long. I'm not particularly loquacious and I can't think of things to say to fill up that amount of time. So I do a lot of editing and a lot of speeding up. You know, it's interesting because I do that too with my videos. I prefer a shorter video most of the time on YouTube. I'm watching people's tutorials at least a double time because I just can't stand it. Um, but I know th that one of the number one comments I get all the time on YouTube is, could you slow down? You go too fast. I don't know if you ever get that kind of feedback. I, I haven't yet, but I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of feedback, let's let's talk a moment about what kind of fan mail do you get? When people are want to tell you how much they love you, what kind of stuff are they saying that they love about you? Well, they're, people are just so sweet. You know, they just say, thank you for inspiring me. I was in a rut and I didn't know how to get out of it, but I saw your stuff and wanted made me want to scrapbook again. And, you know, I need to focus on those positive remarks because it's always you know 99 wonderful things that people say and it's the one negative thing that really eats at me and just makes me want to crawl in a hole and never scrapbook again you know so it is amazing how a single negative comment even if there's a hundred good ones can really ruin your day yeah it happens <laughs> it's true it's true so um, I have two more questions. So one of them is if somebody want, was like, I want to be Paige Taylor Evans when I grow up, mm -hmm. um, what is some advice you would give them in terms of things that they can do to position themselves to, you know, have a product line, to be a person who has an active, you know, Facebook group or Etsy store and all this kind of stuff? Like, what can they do to kind of um, follow in your footsteps? Okay. I would say consistency is very key um, posting once a day across all social media because there are so many people who aren't on Facebook but are on Instagram vice versa uh, and I know blogs aren't really 
the thing anymore, but I still post something every single day to my blog. So that's probably number one is consistency. Number two would by be- By the way, by the way, just thinking about blogs while I'm thinking about it, somebody once said to me, cause I also blog almost every day. And what I was gonna say is I was like, should I, shouldn't I? And somebody said to me, where do you think all those Pinterest links lead to? Like someone has to be creating the content. That's true. Yeah, so they're relevant still. <laughs> yeah. Um, and number two is interaction. I think interaction is so important. People want to hear from you. They want to feel like they know you and be your friend. So it's important to comment and just, you know, say thank you and replying. Replying to comments, I think, also is important. And then just not giving up. You know, when I first asked American Crafts if I could do collections like Unto Amy Tangerine and Dear Lizzie, they told me no. And I was like, okay, well, I tried, um, but I'm not gonna let that stop me. And so I worked really hard over the next three years to just put myself out there more and more. Anytime I was asked, asked to do a guest design spot or to be on a design team. I was, I tried to be on, I I applied to a lot of design teams. I just tried to put myself out there more. And then when I came back and asked again, they said, yes. So don't be deterred. You're going to get no's, but you're also going to get yeses. But that is such an important lesson there. I mean, not only just the don't be deterred and keep going, but also the fact that you asked for what you wanted and even when you didn't get it you asked again that that i think is huge and i think so many people are scared of saying out loud the thing that they really want and then if they get a rejection it burns so much that they are afraid to put themselves forward again but you are proof certainly um that you need to just keep asking for what you want and working on yourself in between but asking is huge Oh, my, my hands were shaking like what when I hit that send email, you know, and you just have you have to if you want to reach your goals, you have to make it happen. And I think it's also remembering like every successful person has more failures than a novice has even attempts. Right. Don't they say something like if you don't have a lot of fails, you haven't tried hard enough because it just shows you're not you're not reaching out enough. I would say, Julie, when you were starting, just starting your career in crafts, you wanted so much to get onto a design team and and to get your work into magazines. There were a lot of scrapbooking magazines in those days and you kept getting rejections, but you you actually used that as a way to educate yourself about what they were looking for and to improve what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, I think like two things happened for me personally, which is A, I was like, okay, I keep getting rejected and it's clearly that my work isn't up to snuff. So what's the difference between what I'm doing and what I'm seeing and starting to really like actually analyze the same way that you would go into a museum and analyze this artwork or the same way that you would get feedback from your boss at your job and like analyze what the situation is and how you can improve. So I started to think about that. But then the second thing that started to happen and it was a slower role for me at least, which is I realized that I didn't fit into a lot of those categories naturally. And so for me to be successful, I would have to change my instincts. So instead what ended up happening is I was like, well, who 
who is in the realm that I naturally am. And that ended up being some of the more artsy fartsy, like Somerset magazine kind of things that were more about like painting and sort of that kind of look. And that for me was another thing, which was understanding that you may not be the right fit for the things that you want to do. You know, you may be a fabulous, you know, whatever you are, but they're looking for a flute and you play the tuba. You just can't be a flute, you know? And so it's like, I, I always tell people one of the most important things is to learn to accept who you are, your personal style and what you create. It's actually more important than anything else because then you can start to be happy with what you make and just create with joy and do what you love without being worried so much about whether you're doing what's cool or right or any of that kind of stuff. Right. Yes, exactly. And a lot of times people say, um, why don't your layouts include more journaling? I thought scrapbooking was supposed to be about telling your story and documenting that. And to that, I just say, for me, it's about the art. And there are other scrapbookers out there who do put a big emphasis on the storytelling, such as Allie Edwards. So you can you can find your people, and there's room for everybody in all aspects of this hobby. I agree. I think that so often we just have a uh, an idea that you're, there's a way you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And even I would argue that like if somebody came to a class of yours, you obviously teach them the way that you scrapbook and the ideas that you have. And then I assume that you're telling them they're welcome after class to take what they want and leave what they don't and sort of find a way to make it work for them. Oh yeah, exactly. And you start somewhere. You, I mean, I started somewhere and then you just go off and you make it your own. That is so important, the making it your own. I actually had a conversation with a student in my online classroom this week um, who was concerned because her um, the space that she creates is distant from where her computer is and she felt that she was constantly running back and forth, stopping and pausing the video in order to go and create. And one of the things I encouraged her, which I encourage all people to do, is to not feel that you need to do exactly what the instructor is doing, but to extrapolate from them the ideas that you want to take away. What are the things that are useful to you? And I also think that that really helps you internalize the messages of whatever it is that they're um, teaching. So it's like, you know, if I watch somebody do a watercolor painting, I'm, I'm not going to make a painting just like them, but I'm gonna say, oh, this is how they held their brush that I don't do, that's interesting. Or these are the colors they use that I don't normally use, let me take some of that away. And I could watch that same tutorial a week later or an hour later and take different things away. And I think that for me is the essence, at least of how I think learning works best for me. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so before we wrap up, um, I'm wondering how your kids feel about all those scrapbooks. Do they look through them? Do they like them? Are they unaware of them? Are they, you know, not, don't have a feeling any way or the other? They love looking through their scrapbooks. I, I only bring them out once or twice a year when we're feeling particularly nostalgic and want to revisit memories. And their favorites are always the holiday, the holiday pages because they just love Halloween and Christmas so much. So, I, and when I'm making a layout with one of their photos, I will show them and they seem to enjoy it. So we'll see what happens as they get older and 
if they appreciate it more or less. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to follow up on that question. So Paige, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? All right. So I have a website blog. That's pagetaylorevans.com. Same for Instagram, Paige Taylor Evans. Um, what else? My YouTube is Paige Taylor Evans. And then Etsy shop is page by page. So like the paper page by page. And my Facebook group again is Happy Scrappy Page. And I also have Pinterest, but I think it's Paige Evans. I'm not sure. Hopefully a link can link to it. We will. Uh, And mom, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Well, I just have a couple of simple questions for Paige. One is, are there any tools that you discovered that changed the way you scrapbook? Um, so that's definitely the silhouette cameo. Once I got that 10 years ago, it's it's something that I use on, I'd say, half of my layout. So without that, my scrapbooking style would probably be very different than it is. And then the other question is, do you do other crafts? I know a lot of people are interested in many different crafts. I know Julie goes from one thing to another. When one thing is feeling stale, she'll start with another thing. Are there other crafts that you do? Right, so my my favorite thing to create is 12 by 12 layouts. But if I am in a rut, then I'll switch to a different kind of paper crafts. So it's still, it's mostly all in the paper crafts realm. So cards, mini albums, book binding. Um, However, when I did my degree and got my degree in art education, I learned how to do printmaking and watercolor and all kinds of painting, but I really haven't wrought those out yet. I think if I ever get to a point where I'm just, you know, done, I would go back and do more fine art. Okay. Wouldn't we all? Good thing life is long, right? (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks so much, Paige. This was great fun. I hope you enjoyed yourself too. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Awesome to talk about things that are so passionate to me. So it looks like it's about time for us to wrap up. Mom, do you have a recommendation for this week? Yes. So there's an article. I've sent you the URL. The International Council of Museums, which is self-explanatory, has been working like crazy to try to come up with a definition of what is a museum. And they've adjourned without coming up to, with an answer because there are a lot of disagreements. But I found the article very interesting and made me think about it because there's part of the group thinks that a, a museum should be educational and should have educational outreach and do things with the community. And then the other, part is more traditional. I mean, if you think about it, early kinds of museums included like you would collect a cabinet of curiosities in your house, um, or a wealthy person might collect art and their their house was sort of a museum that other people could come and look at. Well, I mean, there um, are all those famous houses like the Frick Collection and stuff, which, or the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum or any of these places, which is a person's house filled with the art that they collected. Right. And so uh, it's an interesting issue because I think this is a time period when people are starting to think, well, 
the various institutions in a society ought to do something more than just be there for the community, especially, I guess, if they have tax dollars associated with them. So I think this conversation has a lot more runway to go. I mean, when you think about it, then is a zoo a museum? It might be. Uh, well, particularly so we, as we're using museums as places to house like endangered animals and stuff like that, it becomes a museum because it's like where do you, you know what do you go to see? Is you go to see the rare endangered things that don't exist elsewhere? Exactly. So read the article. I think it will make you think about things and try to define it for yourself. What is a museum from the New York Times? What is a museum? It's a good question. Uh, what I would say is my recommendation is so boring after that, but uh, my mine is not an intellectually stimulating recommendation, but it is a deeply satisfying one, which is... Um, so surprised. <laughs> so I love China markers and I use them more and more the more impatient I get just because you can write through wet paint and stuff with them. But the big problem with China markers, which were designed to write on China, which is why they're called that, um, is they are peel fantastically terrible so you have to peel i'm sure you remember this mom you probably use them at some point you peel this little thing off and the lead gets revealed and it rolls all around except that it never peels smoothly and then you like have to get out your knife and then you mess it up and then there's too much lead sticking out and then there's not enough so a wonderful company that doesn't care about the environment and is okay with plastic waste has <laughs> invented a thing which is basically a, it looks like a pen casing, except that there is a China marker inside and you simply advance it by turning. And by the way, I was kind of joking about the environmental thing, but they do sell refills so that you just buy the lead part and stick it in the casing so you don't have to keep um, throwing the casing away. But it is amazing. It has made me love China markers even more. You can get them just in black. You can get them in various colors, red, white, yellow, whatever you like. So that is my pick. I love it. I'm very excited. I have a box of them and I've been using them and I'm happy. Okay. Well, happy. Happy is important. So uh, as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. We always love to hear from you. So please do send us an email or leave us a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on social media or just like text a friend about us because we always are happy when more people know about the show. And by the way, I think can't remember if I've mentioned this before, but we're now on Spotify, which is pretty exciting. So tell all your friends we're on Spotify. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>